Hello, and welcome to the Glimmer Podcast. The aim of this podcast is simply to make you feel less alone on this difficult journey taken by millions of other women around the globe every single year who have had to say goodbye to their precious baby. Together, Ashley and I hope to bring guests who can offer you comfort, company, and wisdom. I'm Caitlin Crowley. I'm a journalist and mum to Cora Mae Crowley, who was stillborn last year. Dr. Ashley Smith is producing this season. I know why you are listening to this podcast. I know why you are here. And I'm so, so sorry. It hurts so much. You are not alone. Reminder, the views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the individual and do not represent their employer or medical advice. Always consult your doctor. Anne-Marie Imry is a social worker trained in grief and bereavement and the mother of Xavier. She runs the Baby Loss Project, which works to improve workplace practices for grieving parents. Anne-Marie Imry, thank you so much for joining us and welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Excellent. And people can go back and have a listen and definitely should to your previous episodes on the Glimmer Project. Today, I want to talk to you about the complexities of heading back to work. Often, we might not have even shared that we're pregnant, although there might have been, you know, that great celebration, heading off on maternity leave, you know, paint a little bit of a a picture for us of some of the challenges we can face when we're heading back to work or even making the decision to go back to work? Yes. Sometimes the decision to go back to work is forced upon us. Actually, I would suggest that more often than not, the decision to go back is forced upon us for financial reasons because we're not quite um, there yet in Australia with the policies around paid parental leave in the instance of a baby being stillborn. I know there are some legislation changes and some policy changes around early pregnancy loss, which is wonderful, but really it's not it's not enough time. Like up to a week is not enough time. So you're sort of at the mercy of your employer and in a position where you really just have to hope that they're compassionate and flexible and willing to look at your experience as an entry into parenthood and support you accordingly in terms of offering that paid leave and a flexible return to work. And that's a real challenge because a lot of people don't have that kind of support and are left kind of floundering and in intense grief and not feeling ready to go back to work, not really even feeling ready to leave the house and face people. I mean, going to the shops and doing the groceries is a trauma in itself after you've lost a baby. Um, So going back to work is a tremendous challenge and it's just a huge can of worms for a bereaved parent. I think uh, there's certainly some people that are in, in the boat where It's helpful to have that distraction and that focus and that routine to bring a sense of of comfort so they're not at home sort of thinking about it and um, getting more and more distressed being alone. 
And then there's other people who really need that just processing time for yourself. Yeah, it depends sort of what category that you that you fall into. It, it's obviously more challenging if you fall into that category of needing that time at home and being in a position where you feel you financially need to return to work. Anne-Marie shares her experience of returning to work and a small act of kindness that made a big difference. I was working for an organisation working with bereaved young people and families and so there was a lot of grief support for young people in my role which I didn't feel capable of doing anymore because I was grieving so heavily myself and so I stepped down from that role and planned to resign and they offered me a a completely different position an administrative role and then invited me to come back flexibly so I started three days a week and they just said you know just start with however many days you think you can and then slowly build up when you're ready because they they didn't want me to try and dive back in full time and then fall too far back down so that was incredible and they were just in regular contact with me while I was on leave not sort of pressuring me about what are you what are your plans what are you going to do but just offering support, extending a hand, all of that sort of thing. And then when I did return, my new line manager sat next to me for the entire first half of the day and just walked me through everything for my new role and just constantly came and checked on me. That was really helpful for me. I needed that. Other people might find that too much, too intrusive, like they're being monitored and they might need a bit more space. But I found that really helpful and gave that feedback. So that was really wonderful for me. The other thing that was helpful is just the stuff that I was talking about earlier around my workplace being informed. And so I asked my manager at the time when Xavier died to let everyone know. And so they had a a morning meeting with the wider organisation and essentially made the announcement and um yeah so everyone was aware and I mean I'm lucky that I was working for an organization that supports young people so I was in a space where people really get it you know it wasn't some big corporate (laughs) high-flying job with sort of no insight into the emotional aspect and the and the grief like yeah I couldn't have really been in a better place I was in a grief literate organization In saying that, there were some people there that never said a word to me about it and that's always the most painful thing but the majority of my experience was incredibly positive and, in fact, very, very healing. I felt very safe going to work and it built up my confidence to re-enter the world, I guess. And it was just all the little things. It was all the little things. Like I remember one day I had a situation where just a grief wave hit came over me I could not stop crying and we're up on level 11 in this building in the middle of the city and so I didn't want to be crying go get in the lift go down with all these people and and so I kind of walked into the kitchen was over by the window kind of sort of trying to hide in a corner and a man came in and just asked if I was all right one of my colleagues and I just said I can't stop crying and um, there was a couch there. He said, just sit down on the couch 
We said, do you want me to just sit next to you so no one sort of comes up and tries to talk to you just while you sort of let it pass? And I was like, yes, please. So he just sat next to me while I finished crying. And people, this was in the kitchen, people coming in and out of the kitchen. And then I just eventually sort of calmed and settled. And then he asked me if I wanted some Vegemite toast and he made me some Vegemite toast. And that has stuck with me. It's just those little things. So it's all the tiny little things that people do that say, I'm not scared to stand beside you in this. Isn't that what we need? People willing to sit, in this case, sit next to, sit with it. And the Vegemite toast, oh, that's the icing on the cake. (laughs) There's not much it can't help. I found that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's such a lovely story. Well, and I suppose there you really have highlighted because for my small team, they have always felt like family to me, an extension of family. We work in very close quarters. And so I suppose it's that we can have a lot of fear about going back to work, but there can be aspects of returning to that environment that, like you say, can be really healing. And we're, we're back in an environment where we're around people that often care about us, want to see us do well. Absolutely. And I think the safety of that can be helpful if you have a workplace like what you're talking about where you felt supported and before Cora died. Because I think there can be, I guess there can be a drive to get out of that environment where you were pregnant and it now holds sad memories and start fresh. But There's also the aspect of those people know you, those people shared that pregnancy with you. So there's an element of comfort. There can be an element of comfort to that. And I certainly found that. You're listening to The Glimmer Podcast, which is brought to you by The Glimmer Project. The Glimmer Project offers an online peer support group run by our specialist bereavement midwife with daily meditations, video content and modules. Find out more at theglimmerproject.com. A Glimmer mum shares her experience. When it came to returning to work after loss, although my workplace were extremely supportive and aware of what had happened, the thought of returning back to the place where everyone celebrated and looked forward to the arrival of my baby girl was too triggering for me. I knew it was time to get back to work as I personally felt like I was going backwards just sitting at home doing nothing to keep me stimulated. My mind was just continuously focused on the loss of my baby. After having two months off work, I realised I didn't want to work full-time anymore, so I ended up handing in my resignation and gaining casual employment somewhere new. Returning to work was the best thing for me, but the decision to quit full-time and work casually was even better. Working casually gave me the flexibility I needed to help me grieve without the stress and commitment of a full-time job to consider. Deciding to work casually instead of full-time was a boundary I definitely needed to put into place for my own healing. Today on the podcast, we've been talking with Anne-Marie Imry from the Baby Loss Project. I asked if she could share any strategies for bereaved parents who are returning to work. One of the most important things to do, I would suggest in a practical sense, is considering all the things that are important to you in terms of your boundaries around your grief before you go back to work. And so 
literally sitting down and making a list. Do I want to be asked about my baby in the workplace? Do I want my grief acknowledged? Do I want to be sort of publicly welcomed back? (laughs) Even taking a few steps back prior to that, do I want my workplace to inform my team or the wider organisation about my loss? If so, how much detail do I want shared? I'm not sort of referring to medical detail, but like my baby's name, gender, you know, when they were born, that kind of thing. What you will need in a situation where if you're sitting at your desk and a huge grief wave just hits completely out of nowhere, like we know that that happens, you can be just pottering about your day and crash. It's just there. Um, You weren't expecting it. You didn't see it coming. What do you do in that situation? Is there a safe space? And once you've figured all that out and what you think will be best for you, it's about then having that discussion with someone you trust or a leader that you trust within the organisation. And even if just having some planned one-liners ready for yourself to be able to respond if someone asks you questions and you don't want to share or if someone asks you questions and perhaps you do want to share but you don't want to go into a huge amount of detail, you don't want to have a big conversation in the office. So, like, you know, I would love to talk to you about about Cora. You know, I'm speaking as if you're saying this. I would love to speak to you about Cora. It's a bit challenging for me to do that here at my desk. Can we grab a coffee later or, you know, and if you don't want to, it's a bit challenging for me to speak about that right now, but that's not never. Please ask again in, you know, whatever time frame. And I think the really important thing that you've highlighted there is that it is best coming from the bereaved parent. One of the the key things is not doing this on your own. It has to be done in collaboration with a leader that you trust in the organisation who when you tell them this is what I need, this is what I don't want to happen. For me, it was important for Xavier to be acknowledged and I wanted to have a photo of him up on my desk. So it was just about sharing that with my manager and, and being upfront about that and having her support. I guess also you would hope that someone in the organisation that a bereaved parent goes to and and trusts with this also trusts the bereaved parent in return. Sometimes it can happen that people think that they know better than the grieving person and they know what a grieving person needs because, oh, they're a mess right now. They don't know what they need which is, you know, extremely condescending and not helpful. So it's really about listening and being open to that. (laughs) We may not know what we need, but we know what we don't need. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. People are certainly becoming more receptive to this. There are some big organisations that have already updated their policies in terms of paid leave and are on the Stillbirth Foundation register as a workplace that will support families that have had a stillborn baby. So I think it's certainly there and it's improving and the conversation is changing. However, (laughs) I think the skills 
are lacking. I think the empathy is there. I think on an individual level I'm talking about like a, a team leader who's trying to support a newly bereaved person that's coming back in. I think more often than not the person in the workplace has or the leader in the organisation has the empathy there it gets trapped inside of them because of fear of saying and doing the wrong thing and coming at it from their head rather than their heart. It's a heart space you have to step into, which is a new thing for workplaces (laughs) because it's about, understandably, because workplaces have to function, but it's more about... um, you know, strategy and deadlines and meeting targets and improving the business and all of that kind of thing, which is all head stuff. And I guess what we're doing here is asking businesses to come down from their head into their hearts. The more I've thought about it, unless there's strong policies in this area, businesses stand to lose a huge return on their investment in the individual. You know, they may have you know, a wonderful, loyal, skilled employee who if they don't look after, they could potentially lose that. So, you know, I really see it as the same way if you were to have um, perhaps a physical, you know, disability or something like that that you're working through. How can we put a ramp in? You know, it's it's very much the same. It's It's a mental health issue. How can we make a workplace actually able to you know, look after this person while they work through their grief because they stand to lose us if they don't look after us, right? Yes, absolutely. And it's a workplace culture thing as well. If other people see that someone's being supported and treated well and they have an early pregnancy loss, they may be more likely to come forward and share their experience because they've seen how somebody else was treated so well and so beautifully by the organisation. The financial aspect, I think, is what will drive some of this. You might have seen the PwC study into the economic impact of stillbirth that was done, and but there's a huge cost to business if this isn't handled appropriately. The overarching mission for the Baby Loss Project is around taking the fear out of all of this for the support people so that they're not floundering because what a grieving person needs and the grieving person is floundering needs a steady, stable, trusted person who's not scared to step into that space, who's not scared to hold that space. And so that's what it's about. You're listening to The Glimmer Podcast. We'll be back after a word from our sponsors. The Stillbirth Foundation Australia supports bereaved parents and raises funds to prevent stillbirth through research, education and advocacy. Visit stillbirthfoundation.org.au Blue Hearts was created to honour Holly and Joshua Ryan's son, Bluey. It works to raise funds and increase awareness. Follow at bluehearts underscore au on Instagram. This is the Glimmer Podcast. Today, we've been talking to Anne-Marie Imry from the Baby Loss Project about transitioning back to work after a loss. I asked Anne-Marie if she had any advice about navigating a rainbow pregnancy in the workplace. 
Yeah, it depends where you are. I would suggest if you're in a new workplace that if if you can to be open about your history so there's a level of understanding about why you have additional appointments, why your mood might be different on certain days if you're going through a day of just extreme fear. If you're in the same workplace and it's a supportive workplace, it can obviously be extremely beneficial. And it all just comes back to communicating what your needs are in the same way that you would on a return to work. And just being, I think, being upfront and honest about there are going to be additional appointments. I will have to take extra leave. I may go on maternity leave earlier than what I would have prior. And there will obviously be days where I'm stressed or freaking out or just really scared. Thinking about, do you want people in the organization to be talking to you about your pregnancy? I think people, when there's a rainbow pregnancy, get very excited because it seems like a solution to other people who don't don't quite understand. And so that was certainly something that I personally struggled with a little bit. Everyone was really excited for me and I just couldn't get on that level because I was too scared and so people might have wondered why I was acting like that. So just communicating that if you can. And the other thing that I had which was really, really helpful was I found in my rainbow pregnancy that if I had a moment where I was frightened something was wrong, instead of taking action, I would literally freeze. I would do nothing. I would freeze. And so I ended up making a plan with my husband and with one of the counselling managers in the office that if I was in that state of of freeze that I would let one of them know and I I just needed someone to say call the GP call your no your midwife because I knew that's what I had to do but something just there was a disconnect in in my mind I think I literally went into freeze mode um so I just needed someone to say to me do it make the call and that was incredibly helpful That's also wonderful to hear. And to wrap up today, what's your number one tip for parents returning to the workplace and your number one tip, something you'd like to see change from workplaces? The first thing that popped into my head for workplaces is don't wait for the legislation to change to update your policy. Just do it now. And then, gosh, a number one tip for bereaved parent returning to the workplace. I truly think the only way through is self-compassion. It's not going to go smoothly. I think going into it with that in your mind is the best way to step into it. This isn't going to go smoothly because I'm human having a human experience and I work with other humans who are flawed. So... It's okay that I'm going to trip up and other people are going to trip up and we just navigate that day by day. Yes, self-compassion and communication. Anne-Marie Imri, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Anne-Marie Imri from The Baby Loss Project sharing some great insights into transitioning back to work after a loss. 
Find out more at babylossproject.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Glimmer Podcast. Thank you to the Stillbirth Foundation and Blue Hearts for making this season possible. This season was produced by Dr. Ashley Smith with audio engineering from Corey Green of Transducer Audio. You can follow us on Instagram and consider joining the next online Glimmer Program group for women who have experienced pregnancy or newborn loss or TFMR. We're going to leave you with a very special song which was created by one of our beautiful Glimmer mums who shared this with the online Glimmer group in memory of her son, Bobby. place in my heart my love just the size and shape of you and my heart may never be full again there will always be space for you you came to us with a flourish you turned three lives upside down you were only a tiny little one, but we loved having you around. And I will hold a little place in my heart, my love, just the size and shape of you. And my heart may never be full again, there will always be space for you. created so much with the time that you had You dear little heartbreaker, you You made yourself a brother from a sweet little boy And a mother and father who grew And I will hold a little place in my heart, my love Just the size and shape of you my heart may never be full again There will always be space for you You made us think and you made us feel Stronger for all our hopes and our fears And when you left the stage Your swan song It had the whole done place in tears Hold a little place in my heart, my love Just the size and shape of you And my heart may never be full again There will always be space for you Yeah, there will always be space for you